Hi, we're Visible, the wireless company with nothing to hide. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not into you. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com. All right. Welcome in, everybody. This is not your average Bears post-game show. I am Bill Zimmerman. You can catch me on Twixter at Bill T. Zimmerman. And with me today is a new contributor to Windy City Gridiron, but he has been covering the NFL the last few years. Does a great job. He is Kyrie Thompson. He's at Thompson 5 on Twitter slash X as well. So Kyrie, I'll bring you in really quick and just say hello. How you doing? And how's the how are the heart palpitations? Have you settled down after the disastrous fourth quarter we just witnessed? Well, as I say, I wish that I could say I'm doing wonderfully, but it is great to be on with you um, and great to be on with all of you. Um, so I was on my way back from New York, actually, uh, watching the game, uh, you know, streaming the game on my phone and just knowing that somehow there, there was actually a moment right when they were, uh, were about to cut it to one score when it's like, oh, this is about to become a game. I think I like saw it in our group chat. Like, this is about to become a game. Oh, boy. And I was like, yep, this is this is how it's going to go down. They're going to lose this game. They're going to find a way. And they did. And there, part of me wishes that I had just kept this one on listen and not watched how it went down. But you know what? You know, if, if I'm, if I'm going to talk about it, I got to watch it, right? Yeah, absolutely. And that's, this is what was so frustrating for me is – the, the roller coaster of emotions I had during this game. Because let me let me just go c- be totally clear here on everything. Yes. After the Chiefs game, I was pretty much out on everything. I was like, All right, yes. Fields isn't going to be the guy. Flu stinks. Getsy stinks. Got a clean house. My only question left was Ryan Poles. So I, I was out. And then the game against the Broncos starts, and Fields is looking good, and Fields is looking good. And I'm kind of sitting there going – this, like my, I hated this. My first reaction was, "Oh, this is bad." They're, <laughs> they're not as bad as I thought. They're going to go yeah. six and eleven. They're going to get the eighth spot. Fields will give us a little hope, but not enough. And and then Fields keeps playing better and keeps playing better. And all of a sudden, I'm like, "Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait." And I start getting sucked back in. You know, yep. right when I was out, they pull me back in, mm. and, and I'm getting excited. I'm getting fired up. I'm like, "Okay." This Justin Fields, we can build around. Yes. This is this will work. And even Luke Getze, I'm not complaining about what he's doing. He's moving fields around. Things are happening the, the way I wanted to see them. And then the fourth quarter, and I start getting more and more nervous and more and more nervous. And, yep. and just and then it collapses. And I'm trying. And here's the thing: if they had just lost and just lost this game 31 to 17, and there wasn't much to it. Like I, I would have been more okay emotionally throughout these yeah. last three and a half hours, but because yeah. even though I was out on this regime, they gave me hope within the body of a game, and then they ripped it away. And this is just being a Bears fan. It game. is. I, I can't. I don't know. No, what no, to they, do no, they, no. Exactly. This this is the experience in 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 a quarter. I mean, we're really a whole game experience, right? There is hope. And I, well, okay. I would say probably like week one was probably more of the actual bears fan experience where it's like, yeah, you get all psyched up for green Bay. This is going to be the year we take it to them. And then there's no fall flat on your face. This was, this was more cruel, honestly, because you knew that more likely than not, this was going to be a get right game for, for both quarterbacks, but you weren't a hundred percent sure what you were going to see out of the bears offense. Cause it looks so disjointed. And then you're just like, Oh yeah, Fields is dealing. I mean, look, honest to God, it wasn't even just that. Oh yeah. Guys were wide open all over the place. And the Broncos defense is terrible. There were legitimately good throws and, and actual signs of growth, like real signs that Justin Fields, something clicked for him today as a passer from the pocket there are things that we've seen that we saw in the, in the last three hours that we did not see at all in True. in the first three weeks and you have to acknowledge that part but you also it, to lose a game like that not it's not all on one player and obviously you have three tough plays for fields and there are varying degrees of his fault, but in the end, they're charged to his ledger because that's what it is when you're when you're a quarterback and we are looking for you to, to take the leap and be the guy, et cetera, et cetera. But the coaching deserves blame for this. The defense generally deserves blame for, for this. And you're reminded, just like you said, they, they, they pull you back in 
only to remind you that they are, in fact, one of the worst teams in the NFL. I mean, yeah, I mean and, and you worst. can't escape I, it. Yeah, I mean, I know we're going to have an epic tilt here in a few weeks with the Carolina Panthers, but as far as I can tell, that this, this is the worst team in the league. The Broncos just lost by 70, you know, gave up 70 points, were a road favorite by three, and Vegas had the number right. The Broncos win by three. Perfection. And, so, and I... And I think like the the thing that as information starts to to trickle out here, and you see things like Cole Komet saying that that was a miscommunication between him and Justin Fields at the end there, where he thought he was supposed to be running one route and Fields expected him to do something else. So Fields throws it to where he thought that Komet should be. Komet was not there. And yep. so we were thinking to ourselves, like he threw to the wrong shoulder, he put it in the wrong spot, he put it in the spot that he expected Cole Komet to be and Cole Komet was not there. And you know what? They are too far. I, I guess I, Oh my God, because there's a part where you're saying like they've played together too much to have these kinds of lapses in detail. And then of course that goes back to the coaching staff. Sure. Right. Why are you, you should be looking at the play the same way. And if a quarterback like fields is doing is throwing it with anticipation, expecting you to do something and you're not doing it well that makes him look that makes him look terrible it makes him look bad and obviously you throw a game ending pick it looks bad but then you're thinking to yourself okay well was it was it Komet's fault and then if you're looking either either way the fact that the details were not lined up that is that's once again this offensive coaching staff yeah it look the, the coaching staff has to be questioned and let, we can talk about Luke Getzey here for a second uh, because obviously there there are you know a few things positives, few things negatives, and then obviously there's one thing specifically I'm going to get to, and that of course kind of tie Getsy yeah. and, and Eberflus CEO, not Eberflus defensive, you know, got to kind of split Matt Eberflus up in the two people defensive coordinator and CEO head coach. And, and with Luke Getsy, you know, it was it was kind of two things that I liked to see in the first half in that first part of the third quarter. I liked how they were moving Justin Fields around. I, I liked how things looked offensively. And from Fields' vantage point, I like there was decisiveness. And yes. he didn't look afraid. Like there's been a lot of play from Justin Fields this year where I thought Fields was trying not to screw up instead of trying to make a play. And that's never who Justin Fields has been. And he, and I'll be honest, he looked like that a little bit at the end of the game. Yeah. But Justin Fields, we, you know, that attack quarterback, that big play hunting quarterback that we all loved and saw as a rookie, even with all those struggles, we saw him constantly looking down the field. And we saw that with him today, intermediate passes, deep passes, yes. the fact over, the he, middle. Yes, over the middle, over the middle of the field, which has been sorely Refused lacking used to do game. it. And he was just rifling it there. You love to see just, and he, it was wonderful to see that he was like, that guy's open and then he's rifling the ball to him. He got DJ Moore involved a lot early on. Cole Komet was streaking open a couple of times. He, he worked the ball around. We saw Darnell Mooney a little bit. We, we saw other people getting involved. It was really, yeah. really good to see. So I, I, I want to sit here and I do want to just at least spend a little bit of time on the positives because yes. there's so many negatives yes. here at the end of the game. And I don't want to just sit here, you know, kicking dirt and kicking rocks because there was, there was hope. And again, with a loss like this and now going into a short week, this is the kind of thing that can really just unravel them the rest of the way. But there were, there was hope Kari that from Getsy and from yep. fields, there was hope in the first, you know, 35, 40 minutes of football. Yes. And this is where things get difficult when you when you're evaluating the positives of this game, because I think that after every loss, especially the first the first three, and you're looking at Justin Fields and saying this ain't it, man, like this, this is not what we expected in, you know, week three or, you know, in, in year three to be playing like this. You get a game like that. It was always possible. First of all, we've seen the guy play good football before. We know he could do this. And we knew it was a, it should be a get right opponent, and and all of that. But this was always possible for him to have a game like this, even after how bad everything was in the previous three weeks. When you played better opponents, you played some really good defenses in 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 those first couple of weeks, especially Kansas City, which is looking like one of the best defenses in the league right now. So you can you can look at it that way and say it was never over. It was never necessarily like, well, Justin Fields sucks now, like throw him off a cliff after three games. This was always going to be possible. 
that he was going to pick things up. But the reality is, and continues to be, that it's not it's not enough. And so if the Chicago Bears were to be picking number one overall today, Justin Fields would not be the quarterback next year. Like it, it just it just is what it is. And yet there is still this part that even despite this loss and the mistakes that he made at the end of it, if he goes on and plays that kind of game the rest of the season, has that kind of turnaround, that kind of stat line the rest of the season, picking up a win or two along the way and learning from the mistakes that were just made, then you're saying to yourself that, you know what, do I have to get rid of Justin Fields? You don't necessarily have to. That guy that was just playing out there today, that's a guy that you can win with and potentially win because of if everything else is there. But again, it's the details, man. It's like the margin for error for this team is so small that you cannot afford imperfections. And that's what you saw there. But but I feel like I don't want to get so caught up in the negative and not acknowledge the fact that the dude was really damn good today and Khalil Herbert was good and DJ yeah. Moore was good and they found ways to get fields into the game early and get him in a rhythm and so that you could see what it looks like because we haven't seen this all year you can see what it looks like when he gets in the rhythm and the kind of player that he can be he can be that kind of guy yeah and and that's the thing and i agree with you you want to focus on the positive and and you hate to say things like this but unfortunately this is where we are yeah i think every bears fan whether unless he ends up on the on the Vikings or, or something like that, every Bears fan, even if Justin Fields leaves this team after this season or after the 2024 season, yeah, every Bears fan is going to want this guy to succeed. Yes, like if he becomes the quarterback of the New England Patriots, they're going to hope the New England Patriots play well. Like you know, and I know they have Mac Jones, but yeah, I just that's the first name that popped in my head. But like. Bears fans are going to want to see Justin Fields succeed. He's he's a good guy. He's a leader. Like it's everything we've wanted to see in a quarterback. And there's just certain things that just weren't coming together. And you felt that they were coming together today. And that was great to see. So there is there is still a glimmer of hope for him moving forward if there he is. can prove to be the guy. But we have to fix some of the issues in the fourth quarter. They weren't totally on him, and we'll get to those in a second. Yeah. But before we do, I want to get to the coaching decision that was made. Yes. Of course, with the game tied at 28 and the Bears driving, they get the ball deep, but they get the ball to fourth and one. And obviously, it's traditional time to kick a field goal. Eberflus decides to try to draw them off sides, doesn't work, calls the timeout. I think at that point, everyone assumed, okay, he's going he's gonna to just put the three points out. But he keeps Justin Fields in the offense out there. So before we get to the play call, I want to ask you what you thought about the decision to go for and I get Eberflus's thought process. It's we get this first down, we are going to milk the clock all the way down, basically kick the field goal and win the game and not give the Broncos an opportunity. I get the thought process, but for me personally, and I do coach more conservatively in essence when I'm armchair coaching. Yeah, I would have kicked the three. I wouldn't even have hesitated about it. You take the lead, you force the Broncos to tire win. So where were you with that decision for Matt Eberflus to go for it on fourth and one? In the immediate, when I, I saw that they were going back on the field, my first thought was, ah, I probably would have just kicked it, man. I, I, I think I think I would have taken the points because I think you you struggled for so long. You put up 28 points in a row, you know, 28 unanswered, and you're struggling and you're fighting and, and you're scrapping and you're not getting the yards. You're not getting the points. You almost just got to just take it. But – in it, 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 is almost like split seconds, right? So I'm thinking to myself, take the points, and I'm thinking, well, you know what? Just just quarterback sneak this. Tush push. Right. The, the play that we've been talking about that is unstoppable. And they used it last week a couple of times and it worked. And I'm thinking to myself, just get fields under center and push him forward. You can do this. And so my my initial reaction was the same as yours. And then I talked myself into Oh yeah, this can work. And then I saw them lining up at the shotgun. Right? Shotgun on fourth and one. And look, here's the bottom line. We can love DJ Moore. We can love Khalil Herbert. We can love Darnell, right? We can love as many players as you want. 
But there is nobody who is going to question that the most dangerous player on the field for the Chicago Bears at all times is Justin Fields. And if you are going to have the cojones to go for it on fourth and one to try and put the game away, and Luke Getze calls in a play to take the ball out of his hands and not give him any opportunity to make a play, even if it was a QB sneak, yeah. something, that play is Justin Fields' play. That is Luke Getze needs to tell Justin Fields, get us the first down and we win this game. That's what he needs to do. And I agree. You said it earlier. Khalil Herbert had a great game, and he did. He played well. He picked up big chunk yardage. He he was tough to tackle. He was great. But that is not Khalil Herbert's play. That's Justin Fields' play. And and I hated the play earlier when they went for it on fourth and one, and they had Cole Komet do the, the, stupid, the, yep. the stupid tight end sneak. Yeah, it worked this time, but I hated that too. And it didn't okay. look like it was going to work. Yeah. Justin Fields actually got in there and pushed Komet, and he found a groove and got through there. Like, at first, Komet was stood up at the line. I was like, oh, yep. he's not going to get it again. But uh, it did work, but I agree with you. I don't understand the thought process of taking the ball away from Justin Fields and his legs in those situations. I just can't get – I just can't figure it out. He's the best player on your team. I mean, and you can – you can have you can find fault with him for any number of things, but he's the best player on your team. He's the most dynamic athlete on your team. He's one of the toughest runners on your team. You want somebody to get a yard, and and I mean, obviously, it didn't seem like he had any freedom to change this or you know call an audible. But to me, I just feel like that you should not be calling any number other than one in the yeah. and, and and I mean again, if, especially if, if it's inches, if it's even inside of a yard, I, no. What are you doing going away from the line of scrimmage? Have the ball go any further away from the line of scrimmage than it already is when you have a 6'4", 230-pound running back? Just give him the ball. And, yeah. and, and, and you know what? If you go down there, I'm, I'm fine with it. Or even, even if you wanted to shotgun snap that and then just have field student body right, I could have gone down with that too. But I cannot go down with having your running back from a static start go pick up a yard. I mean, yeah. have have him have him line up as a fullback with his hand in the dirt if you want to if you want to do that. And, and and that's the thing that that gets me too, Bill. Is as much as I, I I like the way Khalil Herbert ran the ball. He ran he ran tough. He ran hard to get the ball down there to that situation. None of the Bears running backs are like that. Okay. We Rocha like Roshan Johnson might eventually become that kind of guy. You're rugged, get a yard kind of guy, but he's a rookie. All right. He's still figuring out what this whole NFL thing is like and still getting his groove. None of your running backs merit taking the ball out of Justin Fields' hands in that situation. It'd be one thing if it's like, okay, if I if if it's Justin Fields, but I got Adrian Peterson back there, or I got rookie year Zeke Elliott. Or something like that. Right. Somebody I could just, I'm going to hand you the ball. You are going to go plow in there. You are going to find a way to get this yard. Or Derrick Henry. You don't got that, right? It's yeah. not even close to me. Yeah. And, and here's the thing. And, and I'm, I'm old. I, I know I'm old. I'm not, I'm not young and hip like you are, but there is a time for me when it is short yardage. And this goes back to Matt Nagy and Luke Getze is the same way. We have the, the modern offenses and I've been screaming for modern offense i you know I've, I've wanted to see it you know Tressman gave us hope you know 10 years ago and, and john fox everything went backwards again but you know, like th this modern you know passing attack and everything it's what i've wanted to see but why sometimes on fourth and short or third and short when you need the first down why you can't just line up in jumbo and just say we're going to get the damn yard because the Broncos defensive line sucks. Like, I don't know why you can't just say, yeah, we're going to telegraph it. We are going, we are running in between the tackles and we are going to pick up a yard. It Nagy never did it. Nagy always got cute and, and tr did fun, weird personnel. Getsy does the same, you know, shotgun yeah. here in this situation. I just never understand the thought process why sometimes you can't just say, we're running a play to pick up one yard. We do not think this play is going to pick up 10, 12, 15 yards. It's going to pick up one because we're going to execute it and do it better than the defense. Yeah. I think the, the thing that I think strikes me about the play calling and, and the way, especially that that game came down in the fourth quarter was that 
do I don't know if they have that play that they feel like they can execute better than the defense. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think, I don't think that they have that kind of confidence that we can do like, like, you know, okay, it's fourth and one. We got this. You can't stop it. And to me, that's kind of crazy because again, look at who you've got right as your quarterback that you, that you can, you can rely on him to just go. You, you rely on him in so many situations to create something out of absolutely nothing. Right. And, and, and I mean, he can, he can make your horrible looking plays. There's nobody is open. He can find ways to, to turn them into big plays, game changing plays. He actually did that earlier on in that drive. If I remember correctly, right. It, it's, it's like third and 10. Yeah. And he ran 20 yards and he runs 20 yards. And it's like, I, I, and, and I think that it speaks probably to a lack of trust to an extent that, if you put the ball in his hands, like something's going to go wrong. Obviously he had the fumble um, and, and you, and you start getting, you start getting skittish and the sphincters get tight. And I feel like it happened to an extent with, with fields in this one, but I think it happened with the coaching staff before it happened with him. Oh yeah. I, I definitely agree with that. The co- the coaching got concerned. Everything they were doing right in the first half offensively and even defensively a little bit like there, there were actually some punts. Like something we haven't really seen other opposing offenses do. The defense looked a little better. DeMar, you know, they got a sack. There was some pressure. Russ was forced to move around and create time. I mean, they they weren't getting home all the way, but they were at least getting through the, 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 the offensive line. You know, there, there was, there was some sticky coverage in the secondary. There were things going better defensively. You know, DeMarcus Walker got in there with a, a TFL, like things looked better. Yeah. (laughs) And then it was, it just seemed whatever it was, it's the same thing where, you know, they, they weren't bringing pressure, you know, because I saw Sandborn get in the backfield a couple times where clearly there was a blitz package there, but that disappeared. They sat back in their zones. They gave Russ more time and he picked that defense apart. And we're, we're at a point now because, you know, we've been talking about this a lot, 25 points or more now in, was this the 14th game or the 13th game? I think this was the 14th game in a row. In a row that this team has given up 25 more points. And this yeah, is Matt Eberflus. This is a defensive head coach. It's insane to me that well, this I think defense, it is 14 because it's gone as long as the losing streak has gone on. Right. It's the exact length of the losing yeah. streak. So it's 14 games. That's yeah. and and you know what? It somebody pointed out as well that. The, the play that they gave up immediately on that last Broncos drive was just standard cover two. Like they just, they just sat back in the same old cover two that they always do. And Russell Wilson, who's seen cover two, I don't know, 10,000 times in his career was just like, Oh, this is open. This is free eats. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and that that's the game in the end, when it comes down to it. Yes. And, and as you mentioned, and this bears repeating every single time, Matt Eberflus defensive-minded head coach, this guy that you brought in to establish culture and toughness and details and blah, blah, blah. Any quarterback worth his salt is looking at your defense like your easy money when the game matters. When, 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 it, when it comes down to it, you can't get a stop because you don't have the creativity to make up for the lack of talent consistently. And basically your, your, your defense and your philosophy is antiquated. So any experienced quarterback is just going to be like, I know exactly what to do with you. And of course they did it. I mean, it, yeah. it's really as simple as that. It, it really is. And and the thing is, and this is what's frustrating is like, I, I'll be honest. I, I did not sit there and grind Matt Eberflus tape when he was the Colts defensive coordinator and really, really break this down. I looked at it a little bit more once he was hired, but I didn't spend a ton of time on it. But the one thing that jumped off the page at me, uh, you know, I don't like looking at sacks, you know, sacks are great. I know you, you need them, but pressure rates. And I went back and looked at, you know, I use pro football reference. You go check it out if you want. Team Mm -hmm. pressure rates for the Indianapolis Colts in the four years that Matt Eberflus was the defensive coordinator there. One season, they weren't in the bottom 10 in the league. One (laughs) season out of the four. And they were like 18 or 17. Maybe I'll tweet it out this week if I go back. You should. You should. But it was, I I think they were like 18th or 17th one of the years, 23rd another year, and then like 30th and 31st. Like he does not generate pressure. And that was the first thing. And I started asking guys, you know, and people that, that know football better than me, I said, 
you know, you need pressure in today's NFL. You cannot let a quarterback sit back there. Is this going to be a problem? They're like, oh, well, hopefully he kind of changes his mindset. But obviously that's not the case. He doesn't know how to dial up pressure. No. He wants to – look, We every defense wants to bring pressure with four. That's wonderful if you can do it. But if you don't have the, the personnel to do it, and he knew going into this year that he didn't, that defensive line, everyone, every Bears fan looked at that defensive line, said that's probably going to be the biggest, the weakest position group on this team was going to be the defensive line. Poles tried to fix as much as he could, but he didn't get much for the defensive line this year. Rookies, you know, second, third round rookies aren't going to be huge impact players right out of the gate. Demarcus Walker's okay. And Gakwe is, a, is just a mercenary pass rusher. There wasn't enough there to have a complete defensive line. So the fact that this team is, and, and second half, there was no pressure again. Russ had lots of time to throw the football and he picked them apart. The fact that this defense is so bad at generating pressure is frustrating, but the sad thing is it's expected. Yes. Yes. It, it is literally a feature. It is not a bug. And it's something that you, you looked at it with, you know, pro football focus grades, however much, you know, we want, we want to put stock into them, but there was never a time during, during Iberflus's time in Indianapolis where the coverage grade or, or where the, where the pass rush grade was better than the coverage grade. Right. So you're basically relying on defensive backs to create coverage sacks. And yes, to an extent, right, the, the two work in tandem. OK, you're, even if you don't have a dominant pass rush, you can still have a decent one if your DVs are good and force teams to you know force quarterbacks to hold on to the ball and gives you time to artificially generate pass rush. The problem is that, again, in such a basic, unimaginative scheme where you're basically just dropping to a spot like this is, you know, early 2000s Chicago Bears. I mean, people have seen this and, and they can they can dissect it in their sleep. And and so think about this. Right. So, so I, I just pulled this up in the in the post game. So you can go on, um, you know, the RBSDM website and get the, you know, EPA per play and stuff like that for the quarterbacks already. And as good as Justin Fields was, you know, 0.21 EPA per play. Yeah. His, his like completion percentage over expected. It's got to be a record for Justin Fields. You would think, it was, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it was, it was crazy. Like he had a legitimately good game today, but Russell Wilson still had a more efficient game and had a higher like QBR than Justin Fields because they just did nothing to bother this man. Yep. You know, it, it's still as, and again, we should be excited about the fact that, you know, dude went for 335 yards and four touchdowns and, and looked like a player. And yet on the other side of the ball, Russell Wilson was so unbothered that he still put up a more efficient game. That should tell you everything you need to know that Justin Fields could have a career game as a passer and the other guy still put up better efficiency numbers. Yeah, and and it's it's brutal to just sit here week in and week out and keep dealing with this kind of stuff because it you and that's the thing is I, I know a lot of us like black and white and black and white in terms of this didn't work because X and this didn't work because Y and it's one thing and if you could fix that things would get better but the thing here is is this team manages to find ways to lose as a group and Justin Fields put them out up, you know, 28-7. That was him. He did that. He played so well. And yes, Getsy called a good game and Herbert and more. Yeah, but he got them out 28-7. And we're going to get to the, the very end of the game here where a lot of that is on fields. But the problem is, and, and you've been talking about it, the coaching is what got the Broncos back in this and how things changed with what Getze was doing and with what Eberflus was doing defensively. And they left the door open for Sean Payton to go right through it and, and get them back in this game. And that's what's really frustrating. And it's going to be frustrating moving forward unless you're a Caleb Williams guy and you want this team to go 0-17. Then you're going to welcome it. But if you are still hoping to have this team win because it's October 1st and you do not want to be in misery as a Bears fan for the next three and a half months, which I totally get, you know, I'm not going to sit here and tell people to cheer against this team. But Sean Payton is considered, you know, he's a, he's a good coach. 
I don't know if he's a good coach this year, but he is a good coach. He's a much better coach than Matt Eberflus. And the problem is, is that I think Matt Eberflus is such a poor coach at this point, both his defensive scheme and as his CEO, we see how upset players are. You know, you hear from, from the beat, you know, guys heads are down in the locker room, even during the week, during practice, like there's, there's just, it's not a good energy around this team. So there's nothing Eberflus is doing right. We're still questioning what Getze is doing. They're going to be outmatched on the sidelines every game, which yeah. means the players on the field are going to have to overcome poor coaching to get a win. And I think this is this is the conundrum, right? If you have the guy at quarterback, as so many people have have, have said in the aftermath of this game, if you have that dude, he plays over the mistakes. And he finds a way to win games, even when things aren't perfect, even when you choke away a lead like this. You think about the way Trevor Lawrence responded in the wild card round last year. He threw four picks in the first half and then throws four touchdown passes at you know in, in the second half, and they go on and, and win the game. But I think the thing that kills me is that we are demanding, as you said, that this team do that every single week because they are overmatched on, on the sidelines and they don't have people that consistently put them in positions to win football games and they routinely make the wrong decisions and routinely can't get their team 100% on the details so that you can, so that you can go out and, and make the plays necessary to win the, these kinds of games, right? You're yeah. at a dis you're at a disadvantage fundamentally. And then we're going to get mad at the players for not going out and overcoming that every single week. There's no remotely good team that you can have reasonable expectations for that does this, that asks this of its players. And that's why it's hard to look at what Justin Fields did today and 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 say, "You know what? Like screw it. He's not he's not the guy. He folded." You know, he, he can't he can't win a big game, et cetera, et cetera. When I mean, OK, maybe maybe that ends up being the case. But there's also this part of me that looks at it and says, you're asking him to be Superman, to erase your mistakes every single game, every week. And and the defense, I don't even know what they want the defense to do, Bill. I really don't. Are, are they hoping that the quarterback is just going to eventually trip over his own feet or like throw you the football? Like, I, I don't, I don't understand what they, what they expect these guys to do. You can't, yeah. you can't have any kind of winning culture or build a foundation on this. Well, and that's the thing you, you talk about this defense, right? And what, what do you want this defense to do? And, and I'm with you because if you're, and I understand that the, the secondary is banged up, but if, if everyone's healthy, if you're Jalen Johnson and you're Tyreek Stevenson and you're being told to play 10 yards off your wide receivers constantly, play these soft zones, and I get the bend don't break concept and all this, I get it. But if you're not allowing these guys to make plays, all the bend don't break defense is, is a prevent defense. If you're not allowing them to make plays, Tyreek and Jalen can be aggressive. Get them up on there. Let them battle with these wide receivers. Dial up some pressure. Jack Sanborn is a good blitzing linebacker. Yeah. Get him to rush the passer. You know, I, they, I saw Brisker come, come at, uh, in rush the passer once, but use Brisker, use Stevenson. These guys know how to get into the backfield. If you give them opportunities, try try this this defense shouldn't be this bad bottom line like i'm not sitting here saying they should be a top five defense because the defensive line is bad but Ngakwe knows how to rush the passer demarcus walker isn't awful andrew billings is a good you know clog in the middle to to you know to get you know eat up a couple blocks and stuff tremaine edmonds dj edwards these guys know how to ball at linebacker they've got good players in the secondary this defense should at least be average maybe below average you're, that's not asking for that much. They shouldn't be bottom of the barrel 32nd in the league because they are sitting here playing a scheme for Matt Eberflus that doesn't allow them to do anything. Like, no. why can't, when Eddie Jackson's out there, 
why is it so difficult when you act? I get it when the secondary all left and Eddie Jackson was there all alone and playing with, with, you know, the seven dwarves and had no opportunities because he had to do so much else. He couldn't you be used like Fangio used him as that center fielder to just go and make plays, but you've got guys with him again. Why, why do we just sit here and just not allow these guys to play, put them in a position to do what they do well. And that defense is just, they're just sitting there and they're just playing a soft scheme that every quarterback is going to continue. Baker Mayfield picked it apart. And if Baker Mayfield's picking it apart, every quarterback in the league is going to pick it apart. Yes. And and I think that your point really gets into a larger point for me is that it doesn't allow, and, and it, this scheme on really either side of the ball, and offensively today was a little bit different. But on either side of the ball, not only does it not put players in positions to succeed, but it is actively kind of reactionary in nature. It, sure. it, is, it is not aggressive. It's passive. That's a so, good way to put it. So you are essentially waiting for the, the other team to dictate the action to you instead of you dictating the action. Right. It, it's and, and yeah, I get it. You got you got to adjust to what teams do. Like if they make adjustments, you know, and, and, and you, have, you have to counter that. Right. But the first move should be yours. You should be the aggressor. You should be the team that punches the other team in the mouth. OK, absolutely. And and then and then, OK, when they hit back, because that's what it is in the NFL. Most of the time you, you've, you've got to hit back unless you're the Chicago Bears from the first few weeks of the season and you don't have any counter punches for anything. But then you have to come back swinging. And, and what, what the Bears did today was what they've done too often over the last 14 games in which, in which they, they have now lost and given up 25 points or more is they, they turtled, right? When, when, it, when, it was time to go, when it was time to go make a play or when it was time to, to make a game-changing play, cook up something big on a third down, or, or cook up something interesting to, to confuse Russell Wilson, bring pressure, get after him. Or, or you know what, in, in this case, line up Justin Fields in, in under center and say, you know what, we're coming straight at you. Stop it if you can, instead of this, instead of doing what they ended up doing. It's just a continuous issue where they don't know how to win, not just because the talent is awful, but because this coaching staff does not know how to win. They don't. Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously. Hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right. $25 a month? Every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just visible. Switch today at visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see visible.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. They're very inexperienced. And that's the thing, even, you know, with Alan Williams. Alan Williams was a first-time defensive coordinator. Matt Eberflus is a first-time head coach. Luke Getze is a first-time offensive coordinator and a first-time play caller. You had a very inexperienced coaching staff to try and build this culture, and it, it really really hasn't worked. So for those of you listening live, we appreciate you. If you've got comments, make sure you drop them in the comments section. We're going to get to comments here in just a couple of minutes. But before we get to comments, Kari, and I know we've talked about a lot of the other issues that happen here. We haven't really talked about the end of the game with Fields. And if we're going to be fair to everyone, we got to talk about it. So I kind of split it up into two different things here. And the first thing, I want to get your take on the fumble, because I think I'm in the minority here. Because, look, the the play was not blocked well. I'm not going to sit here and put all of this on Justin Fields. But to me, when he, you know, turns and comes around and there is a guy in his face, you cannot do a jump pass there. And I understand he was already even starting to get into his motion. 
you've got to tuck that ball back under. To me, that's what I just call a fetal position sack. You just grab the ball, tuck your head, and get flattened because there's nothing you can do. And I get that's not Fields' mentality, and he's always going to want to make a play. But to me, that jump pass was was bad, and, and that's what happens when you do something like that. Now, I saw a lot of people on Twitter, you can't put that on Fields. That's the, that's a poor play call, poor, poor execution from the offense. I'm not disagreeing, but I do think that there is some blame to be had on Justin Fields for doing what he did there. I would tend to agree because that's a, that's a really difficult play. And it's a play that in the past fields has taken a sack on. And I think that he was probably being very conscious of the fact that, you know what, I've still got room to throw this ball. Let, let me do it. Let me get it out there and let my guy make a play instead of taking a sack the way that I have in the past. And yet a sack would have been better than what actually happened. And, and I mean, it's, it's difficult too because the way that he the the, the way that his throwing motion works, you know, it it, it kind of comes out kind of low and he's got and he's got the the, the ball kind of tucked here at an angle. And unfortunately, it allows for somebody to come in and, and knock the ball out of your hands or, or or to hit you in a way that the ball flies up. And he also doesn't have the biggest hands in the world. So it's like there, there was just like a whole a perfect storm of bad that happened on that play where Maybe if he was a different quarterback with a slightly different throwing motion, maybe he gets that off and it doesn't matter. But because he's him and he throws the ball the way that he does, it was it was just a terrible luck play. But in in the end, regardless of it, it was it was a badly blocked play and it was bad luck right there. Ball security is everything. And it's like if you have any doubts whatsoever about whether you can get that ball off, then you either need to you you either need to just Tuck it and run, try to outflank the guy, which maybe he could have done, though I don't I don't think that he we probably could have at that point. Um, you you step up if you can, just try to abort the play, get upfield, get vertical, or you just you just take the sack, man. And 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 that's and that's tough though, because we're we're analyzing it not while the live bullets are flying and not thinking to yourself, like, oh, I can still get the ball to Cole Komet the way that you should. And and there are plenty of quarterbacks that probably would have done the same thing. It was just bad luck. And, yeah. but, but I, but I still think that, you know, ultimately you, you fields deserves his bit of the blame because one way or another, you just, you can't fumble the ball there. It just is yeah, what it, it is. It, it, it was a crippling mistake. And again, that fumble is not 100% on Justin Fields, but you can't absolve him of the blame. And that's kind of my point. Now, let me ask you a quick question. Carrie. Are you a Ted Lasso guy? Not so much. Okay. So in Ted Lasso, Ted Lasso, to one of his players says, do you know what the happiest animal in the world is? Player doesn't know. He says, it's a goldfish because a goldfish has a 10 second memory. Yeah. So he says, you know, the player had just screwed up. So he says, go be a goldfish. Yep. Mm -hmm. Justin Fields right there. Go be a goldfish, Justin. Do not worry about that play. We have the ball. We still have an opportunity to win. Go win us that football game. The Justin Fields that came back out after that fumble. And I don't know if Luke Getzey, went after him and reamed him. I don't know if Justin Fields got in his own head, but the Justin Fields that came back out, even with the 20 yard run that he had there, that was not the same Justin Fields. That was felt to me like more of the Justin Fields who was playing a little scared and maybe Getsy, I don't know if Getsy was, didn't trust Justin Fields or saw it because, you know, we saw them switch to a very run heavy attack there towards the end of the game. I understand you have the lead and you're trying to, to milk the clock a little too, but there were a lot of things that had me question what Justin Fields was doing out there. That intentional grounding, that was all he had to do was throw the, I get what he's trying to do. All you had to do is throw it a little further off to the left where Khalil Herbert was, but he just chucked it into a bunch of feet of defenders. That was unacceptable. And before we get to the interception, I just, I had a bad vibe about Justin's play after that fumble. It just didn't, it just wasn't clicking for me. And I think with that, you got to take into account the 14 straight losses. And yeah, like, I, I think that there, there are some people that would say, look, they were trying to lose last year as, as, as an organization, right? And so who cares about what they did last year? They got done what they needed to get done. They got the number one pick. They traded it for a haul. They got DJ Moore. They did, et cetera. But look, Justin Fields was still out there playing, right? Still out there playing and competing and trying to win. And this is not a guy that's lost. I mean... 
I, I want to say like these, this amount of, of loss that he's had on this win streak is probably like the amount of loss that he like ever had. Maybe like, more. I mean, it is like high school and college career combined. Like there are just not a lot of losses on that dude's ledger. Okay. And so I imagine that whether it was Luke Getze or rather, here we go again, there's this part of, of trauma, like a cycle that's got to get broken. And it didn't happen today. And you hope that it doesn't snowball. Now, now the thing is like, you could, you could have said like, well, Justin Fields was broken after last week. And that's one thing I keep on hearing. He's broken. He's broken. He's broken. The guy, he, the guy that came out there for what three quarters and did what he did, like that didn't look like a broken guy. I mean, he continually comes out and keeps on competing. Like he doesn't, he doesn't just mail it in, but stuff like that takes a toll. And, and I think that the way that they called the game and took the ball out of his hands effectively probably had something to do with, with, you know, what, what happened there where, okay, now we've been running the ball and look, you've got to be able to run the ball when you've got leads, you've got to be able to chew up clock, man. And they they did. Yeah. (laughs) And, and, and they did, and they had a chance to basically all but end the game. Right. And some of that was because Justin Fields also made plays during that time. Right. And and I think, though, again, when it comes down to it, you're in that situation again where we were winning 28 to 7 and now we're losing 31 to 28. Like people are saying, like, we got we got to he's in a game winning situation. Go do your thing. It's like whiplash. Like, I feel like it's never quite that simple. Right. Especially yeah. for a young player. If you're talking about Tom Brady in his 15th year, then it, it's, a, it's a different story where you're just like, OK, of course, of course, he's going to go down and tie the game or win the game or what have you. His situation is not that. No, it, it, it's not. And it's like I said, and we, that's what we keep talking about. It's a complex situation with a lot of different facets that are, that are causing these issues. So I don't know how much there is to say on the interception, but uh, we'll, we'll 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 talk about it here for a minute because you know, like like you said, Komet said there was a miscommunication there. You can't have that interception. We know you can't have that interception, you know. And I think we'll have to kind of see more that comes out there, you know. And we may not ever get the complete answer as to what happened there. Did Cole Komet screw up? Did Justin Fields screw up? Because someone screwed up. And if they just say we had a miscommunication, it's going to be hard to know exactly what that is. But again, in that situation, you just can't have that, whether it's the play call, whether it's the execution of Komet, whether it's Fields' decision. You just, you, you, you had a glimmer of hope, you, and you just, again, you just dampened it and it disappeared. It's just frustrating that this team continues to find a way to lose. And everyone kept saying, is the Chiefs game rock bottom? Well, according to James Brown, right when they were cutting out of the the Chiefs, uh, the the Broncos game and moving to, I don't even remember whatever game they they moved to after that, he did say that this was the biggest blown lead in the history, the 102-year, whatever it is, history of the Chicago Bears franchise. It is the biggest blown lead, and you blew that lead to a bad football team that just gave up 70 points. I don't know if it's rock bottom, but we're keep dig- we keep digging, Car. Yeah, yeah, we're we're, we're digging. We are actively <laughs> actively trying to find out. And I think the thing that kills me sometimes too. I know, I know I've said this a couple of times today, <laughs> but Justin Fields tried to throw that ball with anticipation, and I feel like there there were points today where he threw the ball with timing and something approximating anticipation that we just we have not seen at all like since his rookie year rather right. i should say because he did it during his rookie year like we, we we forget that he was on he was legitimately on a trajectory of, of being a good pocket passer coming out of his rookie year and that has since evaporated but this was the best he's looked as as a passer and he tried to trust his guy to make a play there and his guy wasn't there and it happened last year with the with the green bay packers game two where he yep. tried to we he tried to throw the the comeback Dequinemius St. Brown, and he took like 15 steps to come back and Jair Alexander picks it off. The guy tried to show trust in a teammate to go make a play for him and he didn't do it. And that, and that's brutal because we've been talking and kind of skirting around this issue of Justin Fields and, and him not trusting what he's seeing out there or, or not trusting the offense or where his guys are going to be. That wasn't necessarily the case today, he looked like he was out there playing free and, and doing his thing. 
right? Sure. But so often he tries to put trust in his teammates and they screw him over. Now, look, it might be that when they go back and look at the film, Justin Fields be like, sorry, man, that, that was that was on me. I shouldn't have thrown it there because of where because of where the defensive back was. Though I still think that depending on if, if he was throwing it to a spot that Cole Komet was supposed to be, should have boxed him out, then that's not an interception. At worst, it's an incompletion. So it's like, I, I still think that you look at that rep and you say, he threw the ball with 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 an, an idea and an anticipation. He wasn't just waiting for Cole Komet to get open or, or getting you know ready to separate. And so there are like little pieces of positivity and silver lining that you could take away from that. And yet all it comes down to is an interception and a negative play and you lose the game. Yep. And, and that's that's the bottom line. They are 0-4 now. And like I said before, if the season ended today, Justin Fields is, is not going to be your quarterback next year, even after coming off clearly the best game of his career. Because once again, for, for any number of reasons, the Chicago Bears are terrible. They are the, they are the charter franchise of effing up. <laughs> that they are. And with, with teams like the, the Lions history, and I know the Lions are, are good now, and, and the Jets history, there are plenty of teams, Jaguars, there are plenty of teams that don't know how to win. But sadly, this team is, is right there with them. Uh, so if, if we're going to get to questions here. So if you've got questions, make sure you send them now. So Kari, while, while I'm looking at these, let me ask you this. Has Chase Claypool played his last down for the Chicago Bears? Yep. I don't see how he could. I, I don't see how. He Especially could if he wasn't on the sidelines. If he wasn't on the sidelines, that that feels like to me that this is this is the end of that relationship. And and they don't know how to explain his absence. Matt Eberflus said, "Hey, well, you know, uh, we gave Chase Claypool the choice to to stay home, and 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 uh, you know, he decided to stay home, or or whatever. So we gave him the option. We expect him to be back on Monday, in in at Hallis Hall tomorrow, and then." Bears PR comes out and is just like, actually, no, the Bears asked Claypool to stay home. This is just a, it's an abject disaster. Regardless whether he made the decision to stay home or the Bears told him to stay home, this guy cannot be on this team anymore. I'm, I'm sorry. He, he, he can't continue to play for this team. I wrote about it on the Windy City Gridiron. I mean, at, at this point, you can't be the culture team and then continue to employ Chase Claypool. Yeah, you, you can't. And it's, look, I think there is something fair to say, and I, I'm not blaming all the offensive woes previously on Chase Claypool, but you saw ESB make a play and you saw him have a couple blocks. You saw Equinamia St. Brown have a positive impact on the field for what he is and what he does. I mean, he's never yeah. going to go out there and be Justin Jefferson. That's nope. not his game, but he can contribute offensively. And we saw him contribute offensively today. I am not saying that J Justin Fields was had a perfect first half other than the incomplete Hail Mary because Chase Claypool wasn't there. But a little extra pep in the step for the offense when you have a guy who's just not even trying out there on half the plays and dragging ass, that can definitely lift a team a little. And I think at this point it is such a sunk cost. And I know Jordan Schultz came out and said they're hoping to get a fifth or a sixth round pick and they want to trade him. To me – if someone calls and gives you a conditional seventh where you say, if Chase Claypool, you know, is active for us for eight games, you'll get a seventh. And if he's not, you're not going to get anything. If someone is willing to just take him off the roster for that low of a cost, I would do it. Yeah. He's got to go. I, I, and honestly, I think that if you, if you can't get that a conditional seventh or, or a 2025, whatever, you know, sixth round pick, you got to cut him. I'm sorry. There's there's no point to having him around. And I know Justin Fields apparently said after the game that he was frustrated to not have Claypool out there, blah, 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 one of my best weapons. But I think in, in reality, this team was better off without him today, and that says a lot. I mean, yeah, yeah they, did, they didn't win, but they, they looked a lot better without him. They, they absolutely did. So let, let's get to some of these comments and some of these questions. I'm going to start with Stephen Romanehi, I'm probably mispronouncing that, Stephen. I apologize. Crashing for Caleb, I'm trademarking it. And, and I know we all, everyone had that suck for luck campaign when Andrew yeah. Luck was there. So I haven't heard one. Crashing for Caleb, it's not bad. So with this comment, Kyrie, I'm going to ask you a question here. 
if the Bears, as it is right now, the Bears have the top two picks of yes. the draft, thanks to Carolina losing again and falling to 0-4. If they have one and two, obviously we know they're going to make a pivot at quarterback. Have Caleb to. Williams is going to be the top pick. If you have the second pick, I'm going to give you three options. You can take Marvin Harrison. You can take Olufashanu. Or you can trade out of it to get someone to come up and take Drake May, but the team that gives you the best package, future ones, it's going to be a big package yes. for Drake May, but they trade out of this point where you cannot get Harrison or Fashanu. You're going to be, you know, you maybe there's Kool-Aid McKindry or, or Jared yeah, Burst. There's McKindry. other good players, yeah. but you're not going to get though. You're not going to get that left tackle. Who's going to protect Caleb Williams for 15 years. You're not going to get Marvin Harrison. Who's going to catch 110 balls a year from, from Caleb Williams. Would you trade down at that number two, or would you take one of those two guys? I'm taking Marvin Harrison. That's what I'm doing. I'm doing it. I mean, because because look, okay, at some point you got it. You got to trust a general manager to draft a second or third round defensive tackle or defensive end or whatever that can play. You gotta you gotta be able to sign guys in free agency that can get the job done. But in the end, blue chip talent is blue chip talent. And the idea that you could potentially start off Caleb Williams' Chicago Bears career, if it came to that, with DJ Moore and Marvin Harrison, <laughs> or Marvin Harrison Jr., and then you've already got Darnell Wright, whom I think we've we generally think is he's he's a good, solid young player. Yeah, yeah, he's good. He's he's already good, and he could he's going to get better. I, definitely a. I think there, there's definitely a case for 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 Olu here as well, but I think to me is Marvin Harrison Jr. is just a mutant, and I feel like why wouldn't you immediately just want to give that guy, your Caleb Williams or or what, whatever you decide to do with with your quarterback pivot, give him one of the, the the give him the best receiver prospect since like Calvin Johnson. Why wouldn't you want to do that? Yeah, I I I would not pass up the opportunity, and I love Olu Fashanu. I think he is the best tackle prospect that's come out in a while. I just, if you just watch him at Penn, he is just a stonewall. I love him. But Marvin Harrison is just so special. I just, you know, he is Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase. He is that level to me. I think he might even be better if he has the right quarterback. So I love that. So let's get to a couple more questions here. Let's do Chris Armstrong, friend of Winnie City Gridiron, who says, will that idiot floss, floos, whatever, get fired in season? I'm going to say no, Chris. Does he deserve it? Oh, yeah, he deserves it. He is a he's a lost cause out there. And this doesn't even come down to contracts and everything. And I've talked about it, that the Bears would have to eat three years of Matt Eberflus's deal if they fired him at the end of the year. The way this is going, they're going to have to do it. They're just going to have to suck it up and, and eat that. That's a sunk cost. Yeah. But here would be my question. All right. Matt Eber, like let's let's just fast. Let's assume they lose to Washington. Who I, I don't I don't know what happened. That was it was in overtime when I last saw with Washington and Philadelphia. Sam Howell, you know, playing pretty well. Washington is a competitive team. They've got a good defensive line. If we make the assumption that the Bears lose that game with the long week, the mini buy as they like yeah. to call it with those Thursday night games, that's an ideal time to make a change. What could that change be? Would it be benching Justin Fields? After this game, I highly doubt it. No. Would it be firing Luke Getze or stripping him on play calling duties? But if it's firing Matt Eberflus, who is taking over for him? They don't even have a defensive coordinator. He's doing two jobs. Yeah. yeah. If you fire Matt Eberflus, you need to find a defensive coordinator and a head coach. Like I, the, the coaching staff is in such disarray. I don't think they can fire Matt Eberflus. Like they'd have to get Rod Marinelli or Lovey Smith yeah. and ask them to be the coach for the rest and, of the and, season. And that's and that's not it. To me, that doesn't that doesn't move the needle. Um, in the end, the personnel is what it is. Now, maybe you could get somebody that can provide a little bit of a fresher perspective on the cover two or you know what what have you. But look, I think that the way that whether it was intentional or well, no, of course it wasn't intentional, but but just the way that things have have shaken out with Alan Williams being gone and, and resigning, you know, uh, resigning from the team. You can't get rid of Matt Eberflus right now without making the situation infinitely worse. And you know what? Maybe there comes a point where the embarrassment is too, is just too unbelievable, but we've seen some really embarrassing stuff from the Chicago bears over the past few years. And the coaches still made it 
all the way to the end. I mean, Mark Trestman got till the end. You know, yep. e- even though we all knew it was over, fights all, in the locker room, double yep. fifty burgers. We we all we all knew it was over, but he got to keep his job until the end of the season, and I think that's what's going to happen here, as as well. But I think the most obvious move, especially if Justin Fields plays anything approximating what he did today, you you get you you fire Luke Getzey and and you and you pass it over to Andrew Janoko. And and you go from there because I think that look it was it was better today, but when it needed to be at its best, it wasn't, and it was partly on Luke Getzey. Yeah, and it, 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 it was, but I, I'd sit there at the same time and be like, all right, so you know, Janaka, like I, there, there's no good answer for anything. I think they're going to have to do something. But the one thing I'll say, and this is this is what I'm concerning, and and we'll we'll wrap up here. We've been on an hour, so we'll we'll we'll, we'll move on here. And Kari, Kyrie, I'll give you your opportunity to kind of do final thoughts. Yeah. Every time Matt Eberflus talks, he supports Luke Getzey. You know the 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 screens at the end of the Tampa game. Oh, we yeah. like those play calls. He, he supports Luke Getzey, and I haven't heard the post game press conference, but I'm guessing he's going to talk about how Luke Getzey had a great game plan and the Bears executed and scored 28 points. He supports his guy. He has not even planted the seed of the Getzey scapegoat. So if they do something bold here, I just I they need to do something, but I don't know what it is. I just I wonder if getting rid of Chase Claypool is their bold move. Yeah, it would be their bold move. And the, but the thing is, it's like, and, and especially after this, you can't, you're not, you're not benching Justin Fields, especially if, if again, he follows up this game with another solid game. I mean, obviously it would probably be more of a solid game than a game where he goes for 335 and four touchdowns. But I think that, you know, all this talk about, oh yeah, let's see what we've got in Tyson Bajant. It's like, you've basically already said, you know what, we're, we're in it for the tank. That's it. And I feel like it's just too early to do that with Justin Fields, the guy that you traded out of the number one overall pick for. Let's not let's not forget this. Right. If this was a like a Teddy Bridgewater or something and you were just like, OK, let's go. We've seen enough. We're going to be terrible. Let's go ahead and start Tyson Bajant for the rest of the year. That'd be one thing. But this is the guy that you actively chose not to draft Bryce Young or CJ Stroud for. You have to see what he is and you have to, you also have to give him an opportunity to play well enough to, if you're not going to keep him to have good trade value. If you sit him, then you've torpedoed his value for nothing. You can't cut the guy, right? So it, it just, you, you have to play him. You got to see it through at least until everything is, is, you know, you're, you're Owen 12 or what have you, and and the haze in the barn, and you're going to be the number one overall pick. Then you could do whatever you want. Yeah, you know, but but yeah. I but but I but I think, you know, if you're if you're going to have a bold move, I don't see what else it would be. I, I agree with you. I just don't. I just can't see him doing it. I just I don't. Yeah. You know, maybe they will, but I just I just don't see the writing on the wall for it. Those uh, carry any, any final thoughts here before we say goodbye. <sighs> Let's see. I think that sigh says it all. <laughs> I mean, it it, it it really does, and I, and I don't know how to put it in in much more of a clever way other than the the Chicago Bears. Let's okay. Here here's 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 how it is. Right, I knew somehow once that game got to within a score, and I said this earlier, but I I knew that it was going to fail, and I knew it was going to fail because. This team, and I mean, like, I, I I loathe to even say anything like this because last year I was fine with them losing. But this team has not shown any inclination that it has, it has learned how to win. You can you can go ahead and you can get DJ Moore. You can draft Arnell Wright to start taking care of Justin Fields. You can add some. You can throw money at the linebacker position. You can you can have a team that looks decent on paper. But the reality of it is they are the Chicago Bears. And that means they will find a way to fail when, when, you, when you need them to succeed. They've been doing it for the last 40 years, almost. You know, every, every, every glimpse of positivity we get is dashed, right? And, and so I, I think that at this point, there's just not a whole lot else to say 
about the, it, it's lost. This is a lost year. There will be no playoffs. Okay. There it, it's just get, get that completely out of your mind that it won't happen. There's no magical run coming. All we have left to hope for is Justin Fields, apparently to, uh, you know, continue showing that he, that he's superhuman enough to justify sticking with him or you hope for the tank. And, and hope that you nuke this entire thing and raise it completely to the ground. Ryan Poles included, honestly. And then you get another chance to just start from the ground up with one of the best quarterback prospects that, that we've seen in a long time. Yep. And, and I'll, I'll just piggyback off that. And I will say, I and, and I have said this, I've said this on my Bears Banter podcast, there is not a quarterback in my lifetime, and that's a long time now, that I've wanted to see succeed in Chicago more than Justin Fields. I love the pick. I love the bold move. I loved who he who he is as a person and as a leader and as a quarterback and as an athlete. I loved everything about the guy. But at this point, if Justin Fields is the guy, that probably means he also won some games to maybe even possibly keep Matt Eberflus or something. Like, I just am too concerned with what would come with Justin Fields. And there's too much baggage around all this for at this point. So for me at this point, I want to see everything fresh. And if that means Justin Fields needs to get a fresh start, Chris, I saw you say Atlanta, love that spot. Let him go home. Atlanta with Arthur Smith, go do something special. And meanwhile, we'll take Caleb Williams. We'll take a brand new coach. I wouldn't mind a brand new general manager. And for the first time in this franchise's history, have everyone line up together and try and do it right because they are not doing it right and haven't done it, as Kyrie said, for a very long time. So that's going to do it for Not Your Average Bears post-game show. My guest was Kyrie Thompson, at KDThompson5 on the Twitter X machine. I'm at Bill T. Zimmerman. I hope we provided some venting for you and and maybe a a glimmer of hope. I doubt it at this point, but maybe we did. Kyrie, thanks uh, thanks for joining me. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks a lot, man. All right. And Bears fans, hang in there. There's going to be, it's going to get better at some point. It may not be in our lifetimes, but it's going to get better. I promise. (laughs) Bear it out, everybody. We'll talk to you later. Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously. Hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right. $25 a month? Every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just Visible. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com.